We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herter. Today we're going to finish Revelation chapter 12. That is verses 13 through 17. Revelation chapter 12 is a supremely important chapter to understand. I'm not going to tell you how to interpret Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to tell you how I see Revelation chapter 12, and um, I'm doing my very best just to read what is there and pull it apart and try to make the best sense of it as I can. Now, there are some interpretive keys in this chapter that different people look at in different ways. There are uh, some uh, number of days, like there's uh, 1,260 days. There is a phrase, time and times and half a time. A lot of people grab those numbers and run as far and as fast as they can with those numbers. I am not going to do that. Number ones, because I'm not a math guy. Even if I tried to do the numbers, I'm pretty sure I would get the equation wrong and somehow end up in the wrong spot. Because I'm just, I don't know, when God was handing out mathematical brains, I did not show up that day. So I have some other strong suits, hopefully, that make up for my inability to do simple math. But the simple fact is that I am not a math guy. So I'm not going to be the guy who's going to zero in on the number of days and the number of times and the times and the half of times and all that stuff. I'm going to do the best I can with it. All right. All right. So bear with me, all you mathematicians out there, all you super Bible prophecy guys who have got all the numbers and all the charts and everything all figured out. I'm, you know, I'm just going to defer to you on the, on the charts because I don't really do the charts very well either. I just try to do the word of God really well and let the math guys do the math, and, and I'll just nod and, and, and uh, applaud. Because when you explain the math to me, it doesn't even make sense. So um, if I had like some really cool equations and stuff like that, I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably be doing that, but I don't, so I won't. So I am going to clue in on the big story. I like the big story. You tell me the big story, and then I feel like we can filter down and understand some of the details. And I want to tell the big story that God is telling in Revelation 12. What do I mean God's telling this story? Well, number one, the book of Revelation is the word of God. And so we can't be careless enough just to write off the book of Revelation. We can't just say, oh, well, you know what? Uh, Jesus wins at the end and whatever. We don't really care about the details or how it all works out because, hey, Jesus comes back and right, I can ignore everything else. I wish I could have given that answer in college. Just be like, did you read the book? No, I actually didn't read the book. But I do know, know how the, the, the book ends, and um, that should be cool, right? If I just kind of tell you the good guys win and the bad guys lose, right? That's cool. Um, not sure my professors would have been uh, satisfied with that answer. So I'm not going to give that answer, and I believe 
in my heart of hearts that what is coming to the church, what is coming to this world is of such magnitude that whatever we can do to ground ourselves in the Word of God, what the Word of God has to say about the days ahead, we really should be taking that seriously. Very seriously. Because I'll tell you what, even though we have the luxury of not really being pressed into Bible prophecy um, with circumstances and world events and catastrophes and disasters and all that, that stuff... Yet, so we still have the luxury of going, ha well, who cares about Bible prophecy? I'm just sitting here and it doesn't seem to matter much to me, right? Like we still have that luxury. That luxury will be taken away from us. That luxury of being able to sit back and think like, ah, oh, who cares what Bible prophecy has to say? Because I'm, you know, I got my lemonade and, um, you know, I'm, I'm out, you know, grilling in my backyard, right? Good. I'm glad you're drinking your lemonade. I'm glad you're grilling in your backyard. That is fantastic. You know, I love America just, just as much as anybody else, but I also see storm clouds on the horizon that we need to pay attention to. So while you are grilling in your backyard, while you're drinking your lemonade, take a peek. Look on the horizon. What do you see coming our way? Because what is coming our way will, I promise you, will drive you into the scriptures like never before. And so just doing some initial groundwork would be wise. So that's what I'm doing here in this podcast, doing some of that initial um, groundwork that, yeah, hey, we're still, we still got it pretty good and the end times haven't gotten that crazy yet, even though they're seeming to get crazier by the day. Um, the things that are happening are like mind blowing, but hey, you know, we, we you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a little bit like labor pains, right? Where you like get seized up for a while and then, hey, things relax. Like, oh yeah, it's like, like I said, we should be good for a while until the next set of labor pains hit. And then you're like, well, what, what do we do? What do we do? You start panicking. God does not want us in fear. God does not want us in panic. He wants us to see he wants us to pray, and he wants us to proclaim. He wants us to follow him day by day, relying fully on him as he brings us home, okay? That's God's big plan. That's what I want to tap into today. Understand God's plan for history. He actually shows John in the book of Revelation his movie, right? It's God's explanation of history in a nutshell, and the nutshell compresses human history in ways that blow my mind. Now, there's a lot of different folks, a lot of precious saints that I dearly, dearly love with all my heart, and we're going to be together forever, and, we, and we'll be able to talk about Book of Revelation for billions of years, Um saying all sorts of different things, right? And some people say, ah, it was all fulfilled. You know, we don't need to worry about any of it. Or, oh, it's so symbolic in the apocalyptic language. Who knows what it could mean? What? Let's not get bothered by it. Let's just ignore it. Or, uh, or yeah, it's, you know, I don't even want to come up with all the different variations of what been, has been said about how the book of Revelation, specifically chapter 12, relates to human history. I, I, I don't, like, I'm not here to, like, tell you all. Like, you can go on the internet, you can do a Google search, you can go get theology books that will explain 
500 different takes on the book of Revelation chapter 12. So yeah, am I adding my take on the book of Revelation on top of all that? Yes, I am. I absolutely am adding to the conversation. But here's the thing. I am, my approach is not going to be by taking some other perspective or running with some some other person's work. I am doing the work firsthand. I am reading specifically, directly from the Word of God, and I'm just telling the story. That is what I want to do. I want to just tell the story, and then I'll tell you what. I'm going to I'm going to start this podcast. Um, the first part of the podcast is going to be just telling the story, and then the second part of the podcast will be, hey. This is my take on how I see the story playing out in real time. Because we have to remember, the book of Revelation is a, an unveiling. John sees behind the scenes. God pulls back the curtain and he says, John, I want you to see what's happening behind the scenes where you cannot see it with your physical eyes. These are spiritual realities that happen in the unseen that have catastrophic results in the physical earthly realm, in the realm of human history. So we have these massive events that play out globally that have a their origin, their inception, they are conceived in the unseen realm in the spirit realm. That is where they have their inception. That is where they begin. And then they are played out in the earth and we watch it in real time. So the things that are coming on the earth, we're going to see physical manifestations of spiritual realities. That is what the book of Revelation is about. So John sees a vision. He sees a vision in heaven, in the sky. It's God explaining what is happening. The story of Israel, the story of the Messiah, the story of the dragon. It has sweeping, massive consequences for the earth's history. Before it ends up in our headline news, it is happening in heaven. And, and God is showing John why these things are coming to pass, why these earthly realities are happening. Because that, that is going to be the first question. When we start to see these catas- uh, cataclysmic Um, earth-shaking historic events hitting our headline news, we're going to wonder why. Why is this happening? And God's answer is it's happening because there is a spiritual reality behind it that I unveiled to you in the book of Revelation. One such heavenly um, reality that plays out in real time, and it's specifically um, particular to this th- last third and last 
part of Revelation chapter 12 is the issue of anti-Semitism. Now, this is a strange topic for me. Okay, it's just, just um, I guess, for the record, I am a Gentile Christian, right? I'm some mutt mix of, you know, French and German, Irish. And you, you know, I never got my DNA tested, but you probably throw... A hundred different other nationalities in there. I, I don't know. I you know I'm not I'm not an expert on on uh, understanding all the the genetic makeup of of the modern day American. Okay, so I'm I'm from Minnesota, been accused of being a Scandinavian, whatever that is, right? And, but I I am anything but Jewish. Okay, so I am a, a Gentile through and through. I'm a Gentile, but I look. And I hear, even in social media, on the internet, I hear it in the voices of people that I know, this really disgusting distaste and suspicion of Jewish people. Like, I see it and I hear it. And I've always wondered, like, like you know, you watch enough World War II documentaries, you watch enough you know, uh, documentaries on the Holocaust and, and what happened in, in Europe in the 1940s. And growing up watching that, you're like, like, what, how, how does this happen to Jewish people? Like, like, it doesn't really make sense. Then you get older, then you start to hear all of the, the conspiracies and, and why, all the reasons why anti-Semitism is okay and should be accepted. And, and you're still like, what? Like, not only is the hatred of the Jewish people insane, the reasons for Jewish hatred is insane. The whole thing is insane. Yet we're seeing the rise of anti-Semitism in our day. In our day. When you're not supposed to be racist, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of more like one of the uh, prevailing themes in culture right now. Like, you, if you're a racist, then you're the worst thing in the human. Right? Good. I'm, 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 I'm all for you know, standing against people, hating people for what color of their skin they are or whatever. Like, I, I get it. Like, I'm, I'm anti-hate on every level. Like I, I'm, I want to love my enemies. I want to bless those who curse me. I want to love not just my friends, not just my family, not just those who I identify with. I want to love my enemies. I want to love those who hate me. Like skin color doesn't even like, doesn't even factor into like uh, who the, who I want to love. Like like, so, like, I am totally on board with pro-love, anti-hate, especially something as stupid as hating people for skin color. Like, I am 100% on board with not hating people for skin color because guess what? They didn't pick their skin color. So if you're going to hate somebody because of the color of their skin, you have to hate the God who created them. Okay. So like I am 100% pro-love, anti-hate. Okay. When I'm absolutely on, I, I, I get that. But 
Then you're going to tell me, on the other hand, that, like, yeah, racism is bad, but uh, anti-Semitism, yeah, that's acceptable. That's, that's cool. Like, wait, wait. So racism's bad. Anti-Semitism is good. Is this just absolutely core hypocrisy? Like, like how is this even possible? How, how can people have this insanity going on inside of their heads where they say like, yeah, you know, you, any racist bigot who, you know, doesn't like color of their skin, they're the, they're the you know, they just deserve to be dragged out in the street and shot on sight. But, you know, those Jewish people, man, you know, those Jewish people, you know, they have their, their bankers and they're, they're into finance and they're in the top levels of this and they're in the top levels of that. And you know what they really want to do? Like, like, wait a second. So, so you're totally cool with stereotyping Jewish people, but you're totally against being racist. That's, is that what you're trying to tell me? Like, it does not make sense. The whole thing doesn't make sense. Anti-Semitism is not new. It might be escalating in intensity, and it is, and it will escalate in intensity in the days ahead. Make no mistake about it. The hatred for the Jewish people, the hatred for the Jewish nation, the hatred for the Jewish God, the hatred for everything the Jewish people stand for, who they are and what they stand for, will only escalate in the days ahead. Why? Why is anti-Semitism rising? Why did Adolf Hitler lead a nation in Europe to murder every single Jew they could? Why? Why has this sentiment prevailed through human history? reaching back even into the Roman Empire. When Roman emperors, Roman historians, politicians, speakers railed against the Jewish people, what they stood for. That's That's an earthly manifestation of a heavenly reality. That doesn't begin in the earth. Anti-Semitism doesn't begin with human beings. It begins behind the scenes. This hatred for Israel, this hatred for, for the Jewish people is satanic. Satan is behind the curtain with an agenda. And Revelation chapter 12 tells us exactly what that agenda is. And so when we see anti-Semitism playing out in real time before us, playing out in um, headline news, playing out in the internet, before us and in, in, um, interactions we're having with people on the internet, on, on social media. It's happening in our everyday life. We see it. 
we're tempted to take part in it, making fun of, of, of Jewish people or, or aligning with anti-Jewish sentiments. We can know for a fact that this did not begin on earth. Revelation 12 tells us where it begins. So let's go ahead, open up your Bible, Revelation 12. Now, I understand, like, you know, I am in some very controversial territory right here. Are you, are you uncomfortable with controversial truth? Are you uncomfortable with what God actually says, what he actually reveals? Have you, are you so steeped in your own traditional thinking that you can't see what is just written out right before you? I'm just asking God to break in with new light and God to reveal his word in these chapters that for a lot of folks are really confusing. Revelation 12, Revelation 13 are some of the most confusing, brain fog-inducing chapters in all of the Bible. And here I am, I'm walking through them and doing my best to, making, for, to make them as clear as possible what they are saying, what these chapters are saying, the story it is telling. But I need God's help. I need the Spirit of God, and I need God to come in and visit this podcast episode, to visit those who are listening, to fire you up for Jesus Christ so that you can watch with discernment, so that you can pray with fervency, joining with God, cooperating with Him in his redemptive purposes in your life and in the lives of those God has connected you with. That's prayer. Bringing you into alignment with him, making your life a conduit of the kingdom of God. And so that you would declare the gospel of Jesus Christ with absolute clarity and conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm here to do. That's what I love to do. That's what I'm asking God to power me, empower me with in this episode. So Father, we ask you to open your word to us today. Go ahead, grab your Bibles, open them up, open your heart to prayer. Jesus, we ask you, open your word to us and make us wholly yours. We want to be holy, totally set apart from this world. Empower us to fulfill all of your will in our generation. Show us what you showed to John by your spirit. We will hold to your word and we will hold to lightly. We will hold lightly to everything else. Your word reigns, O God. We declare the sovereignty of the word of God, the sovereign power of your word. We ask you, Jesus, to reveal it to our hearts, open our hearts. We declare the name of Jesus. We declare the blood of Jesus 
over us. We say we are, we overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and that we do not love our lives even unto death. We thank you for your faithfulness, O God. We worship and adore you. We exalt the name of Jesus, the name that is exalted above every other name. We exalt you, O God. We love you, Jesus. We love your word. Come now. Open it to us. In the name of Jesus, open up Revelation chapter 12, section 1. A woman appears in heaven. She is in labor. She's about to give birth. A dragon appears to devour the child she is about to give birth to. The child is born and escapes the dragon and is caught up to the throne of God. The woman escapes. War rises in heaven. Michael and the angels of heaven go to war against Satan, the dragon, and his angels. There is no longer any place in heaven found for Satan. He is driven out of heaven, and he is confined to the earth. Heaven erupts in celebration the kingdom and authority of Christ has come and the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. Rejoice, O heaven, but woe to you, O earth, for the dragon has come down to you in great wrath, for he knows his time is short. That, in a nutshell, is section 1 and 2 of Revelation 12. We're going to get into section three. What happens when the dragon finds out he is now confined on earth? In section one, dragon is in heaven waiting to devour the sun. The sun escapes. He is caught up to the throne of God. Section two, the dragon is expelled from heaven and confined to the earth. Section three, the dragon discovers he is confined on earth and takes his heavenly war that he was waging in heaven and he brings it to the earth. Those are the three sections of Revelation chapter 12. Again, there are three sections in Revelation chapter 12. Number one, the dragon tries to devour the Son of God. The Son of God is caught up to the throne of God. That's section one. Section two. The dragon is expelled from heaven and confined to the earth. Section three. The dragon's campaign on the earth once his role in heaven is done. So we're going to get into what Satan does on earth once he discovers his role in heaven is gone. So let's go ahead and just read through the passage. 
I'm going to go ahead and conclude and um, explain all of the steps of the story so that we understand the story of the dragon, because that is the story that's being told in Revelation 12. It is a summary history of the dragon. So we're going to go ahead, pick up in verse, verse 13. Again, Revelation 12 Verse 13, just going to read through it, bear with me, and then we're going to explain it. Revelation 12, verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and on those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So what's happening here? We know that the dragon wanted to devour the male child, but he was unable to because the male child was caught up to the throne of God. We also know that the dragon was expelled from heaven by Michael and his angels. And Satan's place in heaven was taken away. So we know the dragon is now confined to the earth. So the first thing the dragon does is he sees or he realizes his place in heaven is gone. It says the dragon saw that he had been thrown to the earth. The dragon realized, hey, my heaven gig is up. I'm stuck here. I'm confined here. But this place where he's at, remember, is a temporary holding place. He only has a short time. And the devil knows he has a short time because in verse 12, it says, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. So, you know, rejoice, O heavens, because why is heaven rejoicing? Heaven's rejoicing because the devil's gone. He's been driven out. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. So this is a wrathful dragon. He is not happy. He is not happy that he has been expelled from heaven. He is not happy. He is wrathful. He is full of wrath and he knows his time is short. So he's panicked and wrathful. So what does this wrathful panicked dragon do now that he realizes his spot in heaven is gone. His agenda to take over heaven, that's gone. That's a thing of the past. So he turns his attention to earth. 
And what does the dragon want to do? First thing he does is he pursues the woman who gave birth to the male child. Who is this woman? Again, this woman is Israel. Let's go ahead and do the interpretive key to this chapter. The dragon is Satan. The woman is Israel. The male child is Jesus, the Son of God. That is the interpretive key to Revelation chapter 12. When you understand that the dragon is Satan and you understand that the woman is Israel and the male child is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Revelation 12 will make sense to you. So the dragon pursues the woman. What happens to the woman? The woman is given wings so that she can escape from the serpent or the dragon or Satan. So the woman Israel is given wings to escape the Satan, the dragon. And she flies to the wilderness where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. So the dragon, the wrathful, panicked dragon who's just been expelled from heaven, realizes he is confined to the earth, knows that his time is short, immediately turns his attention to the woman, Israel, and pursues Israel. But Israel, the woman, is given wings and she escapes into the wilderness where she is nourished or finds refuge for a period of time. It's difficult, very difficult to nail down exactly what a time and times and half a time means, okay? Now, I understand there's going to be a lot of people who are totally confident and know exactly how many years that is and blah, 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 blah. And you can go for it. Listen to them. See if they can, they don't convince me. All of the like calculus and uh, symbolic math and all that stuff does not convince me. All we know is that it is for a period of time and it seems kind of general and it seems like a long time. I know like for a lot of folks, the, the interpretation I've, I've, I've kind of just went online to look for, um, they kind of took the 1260 days and said that was 1260 years. So it, they're thinking generally this period of time is thousands of years. Okay. So the woman escapes and has, uh, Israel escapes finds refuge for a mysterious period of time that lots of folks interpret as thousands of years, okay? Then what happens? It says, then the serpent pours out a river out of his mouth to going after the woman to sweep her away. with a flood. The dragon pursues the woman. The woman is given wings, escapes into the wilderness for a mysterious period of time. The dragon again goes after the woman. 
this time with a flood that comes forth from his mouth. What happens? The earth comes to the help of the woman and swallows the river that poured from the dragon's mouth. So just to understand the story, again, just telling the story, panicked, furious dragon, knowing his time is short, turns his attention to earth, turns his attention specifically to Israel, pursues Israel. Israel is given wings, escapes into the wilderness for a mysterious period of time. The dragon, Satan, uh, attempts to sweep Israel away. The earth comes to Israel's aid and the dragon becomes furious. Furious with the woman. Again, frustrated. All right, so this is a very frustrated dragon. At the end of, you, in the beginning of Revelation 12, you have a very uh, excited, expectant dragon. Like he's sitting there in heaven thinking like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and devour this male child and that'll be that and we'll be good to go, right? So in Satan's mind, he's thinking, yeah, we'll just take care of this male child, this Messiah guy and... I'll be golden. But then there is a series of setbacks for this dragon, right? The dragon is unable to devour the male child. The male child is caught up to the throne of God. The dragon is then expelled from heaven, which he apparently doesn't like because he goes to war to preserve his place in heaven. Like he does not take being expelled from heaven, laying down. He and all of his angels go full war on staying there. Unfortunately for the dragon, that is not an option for him. He has to leave. His spot is gone. So blow number one, he does not devour the son of God. The son of God is caught up to the throne of God. Number two, the dragon takes another blow by being expelled and evicted from heaven. Blow number three, he goes after the woman. He goes after Israel, pursues Israel. Israel is given wings and escapes into the wilderness. Oh my goodness, you're 0 for 3, dragon. And then blow number four. Dragon wants to sweep Israel away forever from the earth. And the earth comes to Israel's aid. So those four, that's, that, that is very disheartening and very frustrating, I imagine, for a dragon. You know, for, a, for an entity that just wants to destroy everything that God's about, for an entity that just wants to annihilate the kingdom of God, it's very frustrating. You know, you, you can almost, oh, no, I won't go that far. I won't, I won't go as far to say we can kind of feel his pain here, right? Because what a psychopath. What a total psychopath. I am laughing and rejoicing every blow he takes. Every blow he takes, I'm giggling. <sighs> I, you know, so I'm, th there is no empathy for the dragon. But understand, this is a very frustrated dragon at this point.
no devouring of the sun, expelled from heaven, Israel escapes the pursuit, and then the earth helps Israel when the dragon tries to sweep Israel away with a flood. That's a very frustrated dragon. So no question when it says in verse 17, the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war. Again, he's off to make war, right? He became furious. He was already furious. He was already mad about being, you know, not devouring the sun, getting kicked out of heaven. He was already mad about that. Now he is enraged that he can't even destroy the woman. He can't pursue the woman. He can't sweep Israel away. He can't do any of it. And so Revelation chapter 12 ends with the dragon stomping his feet, going off to make war against the saints. Revelation chapter 12 ends with the dragon standing on the shore of the sea, furious, waiting for his moment of war. That is Revelation chapter 12. That's the story. We might disagree on the prophetic interpretation of what the 1260 days are, what the time and times and times a half are. We might be able to, you know, uh, go into all sorts of different rabbit holes on all of those different points. But my point is this is the story of Revelation chapter 12. Here it is. I'm going to break it down for you step by step. The order of Revelation chapter 12. Number one, a woman symbolizing Israel appears in the sky. Sorry, let me back that up just a little bit. A woman in labor. Sorry, the woman is in labor. A woman in labor symbolizing Israel appears in the sky. Number two, dragon symbolizes, symbolizing Satan appears before the woman prepared to devour the male child, symbolizing the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Number three, the Messiah escapes Satan and is caught up to God's throne. Number four, war rises in heaven as Michael and his angels expel Satan and his angels from heaven. Number five, heaven rejoices as Satan and his angels are defeated and the accuser is forcibly removed from heaven and relegated to the earth for a short time. Number six, a warning to earth's inhabitants that the coming of Satan is coming, that Satan is coming with wrath and his campaign will be brief. Number seven, Satan pursues Israel into the wilderness where Israel finds refuge for thousands of years. Number eight, Satan releases a flood to wipe Israel off of the planet earth. 
Number nine, the earth comes to Israel's aid and protects her. Number 10, Satan becomes furious and goes off to make war with the saints. Number 11, Satan waits on the seashore for his moment of war. That is the story of Revelation 12. That is the story of the dragon. Now, in the last couple of episodes, we talked about the first two sections of Revelation 12. This episode, we're talking about the third. What's happening in the third? The, in the third section, Satan is confined to the earth. He takes his war, and the war that he was waging in heaven, he begins to wage it on earth. And what is his first? He sets his sights on Israel. Satan hates Israel. Absolutely hates Israel. He hates Jewish people. So when we see anti-Semitism, there is a satanic spirit behind the scenes energizing anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is not an earthly reality. It is a spiritual reality. It is conceived and energized by Satan. So how does this anti-Semitism play out in the real world? Well, we see it happen. We see it in all sorts of different ways. But to understand the historical fulfillment of these prophecies, we have to go back about 2,000 years. Because remember, here are the order of events, right? The order of events, Israel gives birth to the Messiah. The Messiah is Jesus. The dragon wants to devour Jesus. The dragon cannot devour Jesus because he's the son of man. He is the worthy one who descends from on high, lives a perfect, sinless life, becomes the, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. It was God's hidden plan. Satan couldn't see it. That's why Satan walked right into it. He walked right into fulfilling God's plan. Satan was actively involved in the murder of God's son. He thought that would solve it. That didn't solve it. That gave Jesus absolute authority in heaven and on earth. He descended into Sheol. On the third day, he rose again and then ascended back on high where he is given a name above every name. He has disarmed all authority, all the principalities. He has taken back 
what rightfully belongs to God. And he is driven out. So the Son of God escapes the dragon, is caught up to the throne of God. The dragon is expelled. When does this happen? This, all of that happens about 33 AD, right? Historically is when that happens. So that war that is happening when Satan is being driven out and lands on the earth, the, the prophetic historical fulfillment then happens. When does Satan pursue Israel and when is Israel given wings to escape into the wilderness? Anti-Semitism in first century Rome was real. Romans really did hate Jewish people. Just like lots of people hate Jewish people today. Just like lots of people hated Jewish people in 1930s Germany. Anti-Semitism is not new. It is a satanic reality. And that was a reality that was alive and well, historically documented in first century Rome. You could, you could hear it in the politicians, and it played out in the streets. With the Jewish refusal to align with Roman edicts, something had to give. Eventually, the Jewish temple was destroyed. Now, all of this is fulfillment of prophecy. All of it is by the decree and sovereignty of God. But it is Roman hatred of the Jews, anti-Semitism, that burns in the heart of Rome. Why would Rome hate the Jewish people? You got to remember, Rome is the fourth beast of Daniel 7. Rome is the beast, the terrifying beast of Daniel 7. And who is the king of Rome? We know who the king of Babylon was. That was Nebuchadnezzar. We know who the king of Persia was. Cyrus. We definitely know who the king of Greece was. That was Alexander. But who is the king of Rome? Who is the father of Rome? According to Roman myth, Roman lore, the father of Rome is Mars, the god of war. The father of Ramus and Romulus. Romulus, the one who murdered his brother and established the city of Rome. Who is the father of Romulus where Rome gets its name? The father of Romulus, according to legend, according to myth, is Mars, the god of war. So is it any wonder... That the God of war, whose profile fits Satan to a T, the father of Rome, mythically, is Satan. Is it any wonder that the 
satanic, anti-Semitic hatred would burn in the heart of the empire that Satan founded, that Satan gave birth to, that Satan claims leadership of. Of course they'd hate the Jewish people. Of course they would. So this anti-Semitism of Satan, satanic origins, comes, destroys the temple and begins a diaspora, a driving out of the Jewish people from their land, from their city, destroys their temple, beginning in AD 70 with the destruction of the temple, with the putting down of the first Jewish revolt, continuing another 60 to 70 years after that period, a secondary revolt in the land of of Judea arises, and Hadrian, the emperor, makes a final decree that all Jews must be expelled from the land. See, there's two things that happen in this prophecy in Revelation 12. Two things happen. Number one, the dragon pursues the woman and the woman escapes to the wilderness. The second thing that happens in this prophecy is that the dragon sends forth a flood to wipe Israel away. Those two events stand above history. They stand as beacons of mass historical grandeur. When you read through the history of the Jewish people, there are two events that stand above almost all of the other events. Now, I realize biblically, up until the first century, obviously, the um, this uh, Egyptian slavery, the the Exodus, being led through the Red Sea, that those are the highlights of of the the glory of the the nation of Israel. There's no question that I'm not talking I'm not talking about the biblical history. I'm talking about secular history. Just take just just take secular history, the secular history of the Jewish people. And there are two events that loom large over the secular history of the Jewish people. Number one, it's the Hadrian's suppression of the second rebellion in Judea in about 130 AD. Hadrian the emperor, his name, when the Jewish people say his name, they call him the bone crusher. And there's some sort of curse that that whenever they mention his name, they always say something like, and may his bones be ground to dust or something like, something crazy like that. Because Hadrian is a huge hero for Rome. He is one of the, and he is one of the ultimate enemies of Israel. If you talk to Roman historians about Hadrian and how great he was as an emperor, they all sing his praise about how enlightened he was and how he brought peace to the emperor and uh, empire and all these wonderful things he does. Go ask a Jewish, a secular Jewish historian about Hadrian. 
they will tell you the very opposite. They will call him the bone grinder. And they will say, and like literally every time they mention him, they'll they'll pronounce a curse like, and may his bones be ground to dust. Like it's crazy how much hatred there is for Hadrian in the Jewish history. I'm look it up yourself. That event, Hadrian's final expelling, because that is that is the moment in history. And, and, and Rome does something very peculiar in that period. They rename their province. They take the name Judea, and they try to expunge and expel it from history. How does Hadrian do that? He changes the name of the province. He takes, he said, no longer will this province be called Judea. It will be called Palestine. Why did Hadrian want to name the land Palestine? He wanted Israel to be forgotten. So he used the name of Israel's enemies from the Bible, the Philistines. He named, he renamed Judea Palestine to name the land after their enemies. That is why, to this day, people will still call that area Palestine. <laughs> the Palestinians, there's historically no such thing as Palestinians. The, the Philistines are an extinct nation group, right? Like you can read about the Philistines in the Old Testament, but the Philistines are gone. The people of the "Quote unquote Palestinians," there, you know. God bless them, and, and that, you know, and you know, they're. I, I don't want to. I don't want to wade into the political craziness of of that that area. But they're not Philistines. They're not Philistines. They're Arabs from that area. That identified with the Roman renaming of the of the province. That's why they're, they're called Palestinians. It's not because they're Philistines. They're Arabs from that area that identify themselves with the area that Rome renamed Palestine. And they named it Palestine to na rename it after Israel's enemies. So that's the story of Hadrian. That is why he is remembered in secular history as one of the great enemies of Israel. And what is the second event that looms largely over all of the Jewish history? Hadrian's expelling of the Jewish people from their land is a massive historical event. What is the other massive one that hangs over all of Jewish history? Well, that occurred when anti-Semitism rose to such a fever pitch in mid-20th century Germany that a national program was launched to murder every single Jew on planet Earth. 
That event we know as the Holocaust. It was the final solution to the Jewish question. What was the Jewish question? The question was, what do we do with all these Jews? Like, why are you even asking that question? Like, like, there is so much history and so much to be understood about that event. And that is why we need to keep Holocaust museums, documentaries, all of those realities before us so that we understand, because I will tell you this, Satan will do all that he can to obscure what happened there because the Holocaust shows you what the dragon is about. You want to understand Apollyon? Do you want to understand what the dragon wants to do? Go visit a Holocaust museum. In Kansas City here, we have a, there's a, there's a, there's a traveling um, display of Holocaust Memorial um, downtown I'm going to take my family to because I want my family to understand these things really did happen. There was a murderous campaign to murder every single Jew on the planet. And it happened, what, 70 years ago? There are people on this earth I can still remember Holocaust survivors still walk the earth. This anti-Semitism that gave birth to the final solution, to the gassing, the shooting, the starvation, the torture of Jewish people is satanic. Revelation chapter 12 shows us where anti-Semitism comes from. It comes from a dragon that wants to destroy Israel, bent on it. These two events, number one, the dragon driving the woman into the wilderness, pursuing her, she escapes into the wilderness. That is the diaspora. She, the woman Israel, finds refuge in the wilderness, in diaspora for thousands of years. And then a campaign, a flood to wipe every Jewish person off of the planet rises up. That is the Holocaust. I am convinced Revelation chapter 12 prophesies the diaspora of the Jewish people into the nations prophesies a, thou, uh, a span of time lasting thousands of years, prophesies a murderous campaign to wipe the Jews off of the earth, prophesies the Holocaust. What does that tell us about the dragon? Well, it tells us what he's about. It tells us what he's trying to do. And it also tells us that when we read these prophecies in Revelation, it is no small matter. These are devastating realities. Devastating realities. When we read of the prophecies in Revelation, 
we shouldn't be thinking like, oh, yeah, probably that was some little thing that happened in some area somewhere and we probably missed it. When you're reading the prophecies in this book, you need to be thinking Holocaust level. Final solution level. That's the level of demonic. That's the level of the expression in the earth. You're not going to miss it. It's not going to be so small and insignificant that ah, I didn't, wasn't paying attention and it didn't really matter because it wasn't that big of a deal anyway. We're talking about final solution level, Holocaust level events. So historically, Satan pursues Israel. Israel is given wings to hide out in diaspora. Satan releases a flood to wipe away the Jewish people. The earth comes to Israel's aid, establishes the nation of Israel. The The United States takes point. Harry Truman acts as an intercessor for Israel. And the United Nations come around Israel and make a dividing line between Arab and Jew and says, this part of the land is for the Jewish people. The establishment of the nation of Israel. So we have a timeline, a timeline written out, prophesied, In Revelation chapter 12, number one, the pursuit of the woman into the wilderness, the the diaspora. If we mark that with Hadrian's campaign to remove all Jews from the land, we would mark that in about 136 A.D., There's a time, times, and half a time, a a period of time, thousands of years long, where the Jews would be dispersed in the nations. Then a flood of Satan to wipe off the earth, every Jew on, on planet earth. You'd have to put that about 1940 with Hitler's final solution. The earth comes to Israel's aid and establishes the nation of Israel. That's May 14, 1948. So Satan's campaign against Israel fails. What does it say he does next? It says he furiously goes to make war against the saints. It says he stands at the shore of the sea and is waiting for his moment. So from 1948, Satan has been waiting. Satan has been standing on the shore for his moment to enter into the realm of the mortals, to enter into the earthly realm. And that's what we're going to get into in the next episodes. We're going to get into Revelation chapter 13. 
So what we need to understand is that there is a dimensional barrier that Satan cannot cross. He cannot physically interact into the earth unless there is a way to bridge the sea. In Revelation 13, we're going to see the dragon come from the sea. He's going to emerge from the sea. He's going to find a way through that dimensional barrier and begin to act directly into the earth. That's Revelation chapter 13. For now, I'm just going to leave it with this prophetic timeline that is laid out and where we are in history now. The nation of Israel the, was established in 1948. Satan is on the precipice of taking his war into the earth at a whole nother level that we cannot even really begin to conceive right now. But God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the authority of Jesus Christ, how do we overcome this dragon? How do we overcome this one who's working currently behind the scenes, but in the days to come, he will be working directly in the earth? How do we overcome him? We overcome him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, that we do not love our lives even unto death. We are here by God's decree. We are here by his spirit, and we are taking our stand in his word. This is not a time to shrink back. This is not a time to recoil in fear. This is a time to believe God, believe his word, because if the Lord of heaven and earth is declaring these things, if he is declaring the end from the beginning and telling us these things before they come to pass, then there can be but one conclusion. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy to be completely relied on. He is worthy that he is our one and only God that will lead us through anything who will establish us in his word by his spirit. If the God who declared to John Revelation 12 is for us, then who can be against us? I'm going to wrap it up there. Saints, I hope you are blessed by what you are hearing. I know it's, it's kind of freaky. I know it's, it's in, really intense. I understand that. But there is, there is great hope in God. We can anchor our hope fully in Him, not in this age, but in Jesus Christ alone. He will lead us on. He will lead us through. He will lead us home. So God bless you today, saints. Remember, watch, pray, proclaim. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better.
I do hope it's a blessing to you. And I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.